Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Your knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and harbour those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Awesome. Thanks for that, Ryan. Uh, We're going to look at this psalm in a moment. As you can see again, this is what church is like these days. You're at home. We're here at church. There's empty seats behind me. Uh, It's interesting. I got on my Facebook feed today before we get started. It was three years ago uh, on this day that we had our first meeting here at Southside, our first gathering in our church building. We never would have pictured in three years' time that we would have kind of no one gathering here. Uh, But it's a joy, I guess, to think and consider that God is still working among us. And even if we can't gather right now, uh, we look forward to the day when we can gather again. Uh, And so we're going to look at this psalm. We're going to see what God is like and what that means for us. But I'm going to pray first, and then uh, we'll dig into Psalm 139. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are a God who knows all. 
Lord, that you're, you're powerful, you're awesome, you're different to us. Thank you, God, that this is a comfort to us in the best times and a comfort to us in the darkest moments. Lord, we pray that as we gather together today, um, even though we're physically separate, we pray that you would be among us, that you would unite us together by your word and by your spirit and by all that you are and all that you've done. And so we ask for this help in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I wonder when you think of what God is like, I wonder what comes into your mind. When, when you think of the, kind of this picture of God, what comes into your mind when you think of God? You know, uh, over the last few years, uh, our entertainment industry has given us a few different pictures of what God's like. You know, I found out today it was, or, or this week, it's 28 years since we got the picture of God from The Simpsons. Uh, you know, the picture of God uh, in The Simpsons, he's an old guy, uh, and the episode was when Homer doesn't go to church. And so the picture of God that we get from The Simpsons is that he's an old angry God who kind of sits in the cloud and gets annoyed when you do the wrong thing. It was 17 years ago since we had Morgan Freeman as God in Bruce Almighty. You know, the old wise kind of sage guy. That was what God was like. It, it must be said though that he did make some weird decisions. You know, a God who's wise but, but kind of makes odd decisions like giving powers to to the main character. That's a bit weird. Um, but that was 17 years ago. Then more recently on Netflix, we've got uh, Miracle Workers, a show where God's an alcoholic. Uh, then there's The Good Place as well, which I'm not going to spoil anything, but the, the picture, the image of God throughout that is just a little bit confusing. But then in the last few months, the picture that we've been given of God, and this one I must say out of all of those is my favorite. It's the social distancing God. Here's the picture. It's God at the Last Supper. Uh, and you can see that Jesus is doing the Last Supper on Zoom. That's kind of the, the way that, you know, he's like at the moment. Now, you know, we can move off the picture of <laughs> the Last Supper on Zoom. Uh, see, when we think about what God's like, obviously we don't need the internet or entertainment to, to tell us what God's like. Because the reality is, as we're sitting there today, as you're sitting there today, all of us have some idea of what God's like. You know, for some of us, we have a picture of God that God is like this kind of the Simpsons God. You know, he's powerful, but he sits in a cloud. He's kind of distant and absent and far off. For some of us, we have a picture of God that he's like a, a good moral teacher. You know, he's marking us on the good stuff and the bad stuff that we do. For some of us, we have a picture of God that he's kind of like a, you know, a father with a credit card. You know, someone we go to when we want stuff. For others, we think of God, he's more like, you know, a friend who doesn't have any power, but at least he's with us. For others, we have different pictures of God. For, for some of us, we wouldn't even call him God. We, we have a, you know, think that maybe he's not even real or not even there, but all of us have some idea of what we think God is like. Now, there's a reality in all of this that's kind of worth pushing into because what we think about God directly affects our lives. What we understand, what we think God is like, that impacts us here and now. You know, so if God's powerful or if God's weak, if God's marking us on good stuff or bad stuff, if God's a friend but can't do anything, if God's a, a dad with a credit card, then that changes my life. That affects me. That affects how I live day to day. And, and so what we want to do today is kind of ask this question, okay, what is God actually like? What is God like? What has God revealed to us about his character? So what we're not going to do, we're not going to just ask, what do I feel God is like? Or what does the entertainment industry tell me what God is like? But what does God's word say? What is God like from his word? And then consequently, what does that mean for us? 
Well, to do that, we're going to look at Psalm 139, which we had read out for us before. And in Psalm 139, we're going to see David speak about four aspects of God's character. Four things, and then four things it means for us. And the first we see in the first six verses, we see that God is the all-knowing God. So we see this as we read in Psalm 139. It is a Psalm of David. So here it is, uh, Psalm 139, it's for the director of music, so it would have been sung. Uh, It's of David, and he says this, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So the first thing we see about God is that He is the all-knowing God. God knows everything there is to know about everything. Now, the big word for this, the word you might have heard is omniscient, but it's basically this idea that God knows everything about everything. Now, as you hear that, immediately, like it's amazing that God knows everything about everything, but immediately what it does for us is it shows that there's a difference between the Creator and the created. You know, there's a difference between God and me if God knows everything. Because there's this reality that for humans, for all of us, we just don't know that much, right? We just don't know that much. Even if you're sitting there and you think, you know, you're pretty good. You know a lot about some stuff. In terms of the world, we just don't know that much. And, and really, I think this is kind of the fun of trivia. You know, part of the joy of trivia, and, and we've been um, having trivia here at Southside over the last, I don't know, seven weeks or whatever. We've been in isolation. We'll continue while we're there. And if you've missed out and want to join us, please do. But one of my favorite things in trivia is when you work through one of the categories and someone feels really kind of arrogant and smug that they've nailed that category, you know, whether it's the current affairs or whether it's um, history, and then the next category rolls on. And it kind of, in, in one moment, the arrogance moves to this just humbling as they have to finish the line to the latest TikTok song that's been made famous in the last few months. And, and they don't even know what TikTok is. I love that moment. Right? You see, even if we know lots about lots of things, as humans, we just don't know that much. Right? We can be honest in that moment. We just don't know that much about everything. But here, what we're seeing about God is that He knows everything that there is to know about everything. He's all-knowing. There's a difference between the Creator and the Creator. There's a difference between God and me. But you see, what's fascinating i think about this psalm is that david's not just putting stuff out there he's not just saying truths about god he's saying how it affects him and he says god is not just all-knowing but he knows me he knows me so did you notice that in in those words there it's personal it's intensely personal verse one you've searched me and you know me he says throughout these verses you know you know my actions You know my thoughts, you know my speech before I even say the words that I'm going to say. You know my directions, you guide me, your knowledge is around me. It hems me in before and beside and before. He's saying God's not just the all-knowing God, but God knows me. God knows me. Now, I wonder as you think about the all-knowing God who knows you, I, I wonder how this makes you feel. I wonder what thoughts run through your head as you consider the all-knowing God who knows me. Because, you see, for me, when I think about this, I think that this truth about God is at the same time amazing and a little bit frightening. 
You know, it, it's a little bit frightening to consider that God is the all-knowing God who knows me. Because when we think about our relationships, you know, we, we want to be known, right? Like in, in our friendships, we want to be known, but we want to be known in only so much as we allow ourselves to be known. You know, like we want to be known for the good stuff. We want to be known for the good stuff that we do. We don't want everyone to know the things that are going on in my mind or what I've been up to in my past. You know, we want to be known, but only in so much as we allow ourselves to be known. And even if we're open people, there will always be things that we're not sharing and we're holding back. But what this is saying is God knows everything about everything and he knows everything there is to know about me. It's kind of frightening, right? God knows the things that I'm ashamed of. God knows the things that I'm embarrassed by. God knows the things that I don't want anyone else to know. God knows the past that I'm trying to leave behind. God knows me. You know, it's amazing and it's a little bit frightening. But this is what we see about what God is like. He's the all-knowing God who knows me. But as we keep moving, what we see is he's not just the all-knowing God who knows me. He's the ever-present God. You see, there's this journey that David goes through this psalm. You see, he begins with this idea of thinking through that God knows me. You know, and you can see this. If you've got your Bibles there at home, you can see this in verse 6. He gets this point of considering God's knowledge and that he knows me. And he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's kind of like he's overwhelmed by the fact that God knows him. And so he says, all right, where can I go? Where can I hide? Where can I flee? And, and we see that, see that as we pick it up in verse 7. He says, where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. The second thing we see about God is that he's the ever-present God. God is everywhere. You know, again, there's a difference between the creator and the created. I can only be in one place at one time, but not God. He is everywhere. But again, do you sense the personal relationship here? The, the fact that this psalm is completely personal because he says, it's not just that God's ever-present, but that God is always present with me. You know, he says, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from where you are, God? If I go anywhere, you're there. In fact, even in the darkness, you're there. Now, the, the darkness in the Psalms, it's not, you know, it's not when the lights go out. We've seen this already. We've been on this journey in some ways uh, through the Psalms already. That darkness throughout the Psalms is suffering. It's pain. It's death. And so David is, is saying here, if I go east, you're there. If I go west, you're there. If I go up, you're there. Down, you're there. If I'm alive or even in death, you're there. God is the ever-present God who is present with me. And, and I can't flee from this God. I can't hide from this God because he's everywhere. Now, again, this kind of reminds me of um, playing hide-and-go-seek as a kid. 
So I don't know, uh, kids, if you're watching this at home, um, if you've been playing hide-and-go-seek as you've been in isolation over the last few weeks, I imagine by this point all the good hiding spots are gone. Unless there's one and you haven't told anyone, keep that close to you because, you know, that's yours. <laughs> you own that hiding spot. But um, for me, when I was a kid, and, and if you're a kid, you would have beaten me when I was a kid playing hide-and-go-seek because for me growing up, I would always hide in spots that were easily seen. You know, I'd hide behind the curtain where you could see my legs out the bottom. Or I'd just hide under, under a table where you could just kind of look and see me hiding under the table. It, for me, when I was playing hide-and-go-seek as a kid, I could always be seen. Now, maybe this is, you know, your experience. Maybe you're not very good at hiding either. That's okay. You know, God knows you. He loves you, even if you're not very good at hide-and-go-seek. But you see, this, this is kind of in some ways, it, it reminds me, it's a good picture to think through as we see what David's saying here. Because he's saying, I can't hide from God. Wherever I go, I can't hide from God. I can't flee from Him. In fact, wherever I go, east or west, up or down, alive or dead, wherever I go, hiding from God is like hiding behind a curtain where you see the, the, the kid's legs. He says, there's nowhere to go. God always knows. He knows everything, but He's always present with me. He's ever-present. God is the ever-present God who is present with me. Now, again, as you think about this, as you hear this truth about God, I wonder, how does this make you feel? What thoughts run through your head as you see this truth about God? Because, again, for me, I think this is both amazing and a little bit frightening. You know, it's, it's kind of a scary thought to think about the fact that I can't run from God. You know, I can't hide from God. You know, maybe, maybe for you as you're watching this, there's been this sense that the last little while you could describe that as you running away from God, fleeing Him. You know, maybe it's because there's shame in your life. Maybe it's because you, you feel embarrassed by something. Maybe it's because you just don't want to do what He says. But we could describe our lives as this running away from God. It, it's frightening to see this truth about God, that we can't run away from God. There's nowhere that we can go where He will not already be there. But, but you see, it doesn't have to be frightening. It doesn't have to be a scary thing what He's saying here, what David's saying here, because God's ever-presence and the fact that He's present with me can be a really good thing. In fact, this is kind of what we've seen so far in this series. You know, last week, David was saying, in, in the green pastures or the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. God's presence isn't something that we have to run away from. It's something that we can rest in. It's something that we can rest in. And we see that because of what David says. He says, darkness is as light to you. Now, how can darkness be as light to God? How can sickness and suffering and death be like light to God? Well, it, it's kind of beautiful, actually. We see this most clearly not in this psalm, but as we continue through the journey of the Bible and we get to Jesus. And in the biography of Jesus written by John, he begins in John chapter 1 by saying that God has become present, that he entered into our world, was present with us. And John describes Jesus as the light. The light has come into the darkness. In fact, you can check this for yourself. In chapter 1, verse 5, it says, The light has come into the darkness, and darkness will not overcome it. Jesus is the light who will overcome darkness. And we see that in his life. You, you see, he proved himself with signs and wonders and miracles, and then he faced darkness. He walked through the darkest valley. 
He went through darkness. He went through suffering and sickness and anxiety and fear and worry and sorrow and sadness and suffering. He went through that, and then he went through death. And literally, as Jesus died on the cross, darkness covered the land. But you see, while darkness covered the land, and while Jesus faced the darkest valley, it was as light to him. You know, darkness came on Friday, but there was light on Sunday because Jesus died and rose again. He conquered darkness. And so we see how darkness is like light to God. It's because Jesus went through it, and then he conquered it. And now for his people, he walks with them. He is present with them in their darkest valleys as well. You see, this truth about God, that He is the ever-present God who is present with me, can be one of the most amazing truths about God because I don't need to run from Him. No, I rest in Him. I rest in Him in the best moments and in the darkest moments. So God is the all-knowing God who knows me. God is the ever-present God who is present with me. But then as we keep reading, we see the third truth about God, the third thing that we find out about who God is and what He's like, and we see that He's the Creator God who created me. We read this as we keep moving through this psalm. It says, For you created, in verse 13, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And then verse 17 and 18 speaks about how good it is to think about these things. How precious is it to consider that God is the creator God who created me. So so this is what we see. The third thing about God, he's the creator God who created me. Right? So he's the creator God. He made everything. Now, again, like throughout the rest of the Bible, the point is not how he created the world, but who created the world. Who it is that stands behind the beauty, the love, the glorious stuff that we see in creation. There's an intelligent designer that stands behind it. But you see, God is not the God that puts the wheels into motion and steps back. He's the God who's involved in creation and he's there he's present with us we've already seen that he knows all and he's present and he's involved as he creates humans god isn't just the creator he's the one who created me you you get that sense right in his words there you knit me together you created me in the depths of the earth in my mother's womb you created me there so can you see what this means what this means is you are not the result of your parents' planning, right? You're not. You're not the result of your parents' planning or their lack of planning. You're not an accident. You are here because God created you and placed you here. God made you. And so what this means is if someone says that you're weird or different or unique, they don't have a problem with you. They've got a problem with the Creator who made you. So, you know, we have a bit of fun with this in our house. Uh, I'm married to Elizabeth. And uh, if you've been around me like five minutes, you'll know that I have some annoying traits about who I am. Like there's just some things that are kind of annoying. Um, so a couple of those things. So firstly, I whistle. And I don't mean to do it. I don't want to be the guy that doesn't, right? In fact, in some ways I'm embarrassed by it, but I just do it. And it's piercingly annoying. 
You know, I, I can't, I'm not even thinking when I, when I whistle. Like I'm working and I'll just whistle. And I know that there have been moments in my life, like I annoyed my family growing up just whistling. You know, I, I have clear moments where like they're watching TV telling me to just be quiet for five seconds so they can concentrate. I annoy the people that I work with, right? You ask any of them if it's annoying that, that I'm whistling and I guarantee you that it is. Uh, Elizabeth, right? I mean, we've been in isolation for seven weeks and I tell you, it's annoying that I whistle. I don't mean to do it. But, but then there's also, um, I'm clumsy. You know, if you, again, if you know me, you know this about me. And uh, maybe there's someone in your family that's clumsy as well. Um, you know, I, I'm clumsy. I don't mean to be, but I reckon every two weeks I will break a glass or hit my head on the corner of the cupboard, right? It just happens kind of every couple of weeks. Um, this just clumsy. Now, if you're not clumsy, again, you're going to be sitting there going, well, Ben, just be more careful. But I promise you, I don't mean to do it, right? And if you're clumsy, you're with me, right? We don't mean to be clumsy. The other Monday, I hit my head twice within an hour in the same spot, right? I don't mean to do that. I don't mean to hit myself and bruise myself as I'm walking through the door. But this is who I am. Now, it's fun that in our house, often my annoying traits will annoy Elizabeth. You know, the clumsiness drives her crazy sometimes. But I say in love to her in those moments, if you've got a problem with my clumsiness, your problem's not with me. It's with the God who created me this way. In fact, I take it a step further and I say, pray for me. Pray that this clumsiness would go away because I don't like that I am this way. Now, obviously, right, in love, I'll stop whistling. I'll do my best to not break glasses and hit my head or whatever. Obviously, there's room for growth and change and all of that sort of stuff. But do, do you see what this passage is saying? It's saying our best traits and our weirdest traits weren't decided by us. You know, I didn't decide that I would be this way when I was born. Our best traits and our weirdest traits were given to us by God because He is the one who created us. He made us. And, and listen, He made you unique, right? You're not the same as anyone else. You're unique, and it's a good thing that you're here. You know, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, and God has made you and created you, and He wants you around. You know, maybe, maybe you've never been told that. Maybe you've never been told that you're meant to be here or that you're wanted here, but that's what we see here. God created us. He made us, and He's got a plan for us. God made you. You're meant to be here. And so we see, like, God is the creator God who created us, who created me. Now, there is a side point here that we should touch on as well, and it's from verse 16. We see this where he says that you created my inmost being, uh, in fact, in the depths of the earth, where you saw my unformed body that you made me. What we see here is that God is the one who determines when life begins. You know, so we don't decide when life begins. We don't get to move the line wherever we want. God decides when life begins. And we see life begins before the parents even know. Before the parents even know. God knows, and in that moment, God knows that person he knows that life has begun, and He knows the days ordained for them. Life begins when God decides, not when we decide. In fact, literally, you could translate the unformed body. You could, that could be embryo there. Life begins when God decides. It's before the parents even know. So we see God is the all-knowing God who knows me. God is the ever-present God who's present with me. And God is the creator God who created me. 
But as we keep moving through the psalm, we see the final thing in verse 19 to 22, and it's that God is the just God who comforts me. We see that as we read verse 19. He says, If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, or abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. The fourth thing we see about God in this psalm is that he is the just God who comforts me. Now, I know these verses, verse 19 and 22, they often don't get a run when we're speaking about Psalm 139. You know, the fearfully and wonderfully made stuff, that's the good stuff. Psalm 19 and 22, don't often hear about that. You know, that's the fearfully and wonderfully made. You might have a coffee cup at home with that on it. You know, you might have some, you know, picture, lettering or whatever in your house with those words on it. Maybe this is, you know, if you're into tattoos, you've got a tattoo with that. But very rarely do you ever see 19 to 22 on a coffee cup. No, hardly ever. In fact, I've never seen that because I must confess, as I read these verses, feels a bit off. You know, in fact, I kind of read it and it feels a bit harsh, right? Like slay the wicked. Can you say that? Can David say that? Can this truly be in our Bibles? I mean, how is this written in Psalm 139? But you see, if you feel that way, like like I do as I read it, if that's your initial reaction, I wonder if it's because we haven't felt the sting of being a victim of injustice. You know, David is very clearly here going through some pretty dark stuff. He, he's saying, away from me, you bloodthirsty people are trying to kill him. And this is his prayer in this moment. He's crying out to the God who's just. You know, I think of the persecuted church. In a few weeks, we're going to have James join us from Open Doors, where we're going to look at and, and talk about the persecuted church. But when I think about that, you know, we, we saw this a few months ago. When I think about the story of the, the boys who had their dad murdered in front of them because he was a Christian, I think about those moments of injustice. I think about the weak who are abused. I think about the vulnerable who are killed. I think about people who are sold into slavery. And it's, it's in this space and this environment that this prayer comes out of. And it's in this moment that this prayer, knowing that God is the just God, provides a comfort. You see, you, you notice that for David, he doesn't take justice into his own hands. He doesn't. He doesn't go and kill those who are chasing after him. He trusts in the God who is just. He trusts in the God who will one day deal with evil completely and perfectly. And here his prayer is authentic. It is real. It is this honest cry out to God. And his cry is, God, you injustice, deal with this evil. You see, God's justice comforts me. You know, it's a comfort to me to know that one day God will deal with injustice. That one day God will deal with evil. It's a comfort to me knowing first and foremost that he's dealt with my evil at the cross. But it's a comfort to know that the evil that happens around the world, maybe in our homes, maybe in our neighborhoods, the evil that happens here, that one day God will deal with that. God is the just God. And he will judge the world in complete, perfect justice. This is a comfort to us. So God is the all-knowing God who knows me. 
He's the ever-present God who is present with me. He's the creator God who created me, and he's the just God who comforts me. Now, as we get to the end of this psalm, it leaves one final question. The question is, okay, so what do we do with this? What do we do with this truth about God? Because what we know about God affects us. It changes us. What do we do with this truth that we see about God? And, and the way I see it is that we have two options. Two options from reading this psalm. The first psalm, the, the first option, sorry, is that we can run from this God. We can flee from this God. We can hide from this God. We can keep God out there. We can reject Him. But if you're going to reject this God, if you're going to run away from this God, know that you're not rejecting some guy on the clouds that is absent. You're not rejecting some dad with a credit card who's just there to give you stuff. You're not rejecting a friend who has no power. If you're going to run away from this God, you're running away from the God of the universe who knows everything and is everywhere and who created you and who will one day deal with justice. And hiding from God is like standing behind a curtain where your legs can be still be seen. You just can't do it. But there is that option for us. We can run away from this God. Or we can rest in this God. See, we can either run or we can rest. We can either leave him out there or bring him in. We can trust this God. You see, that's the second option that we have. We can trust this God. We can invite him in. Now, again, it's interesting. We see this from David. You see, he began this psalm in verse 1 by saying, You have searched me and you know me. Then he goes on this journey of reflecting of all that God is, of what God is like and how that affects him. And then as he gets to the end in verse 23 to 24, we see the tone has shifted. No longer is he just saying truths about God. Now this is translated for him. He now trusts this God. And now he's not just keeping him out there, he's inviting him in. And notice we see this in verse 23. He says now, it's not just you have searched me, now he's inviting him. Search me, God. Know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. You see the tone shift? Now he's inviting this God in. He's saying, God, now search me, know me, test me, see my anxious thoughts, see how I am losing it, see how I feel like I'm in control, see how I'm fearing this moment, see my worry, see my anxiety. See my ways that are offensive to you and lead me, guide me. He's inviting him in. David's inviting God in. He's knowing the truth about God and he trusts him. You see, the two options that we have is number one, we can run from this God or we can rest in who he is. One, we can flee, we can hide, but if we do that, we will always be in the darkness. Or we can trust in this God. The God who overcame the darkness. The God to whom darkness is as light. And we can trust in Him. We can rest in Him. And as we trust in Him and as we rest in Him, it's there we find peace. It's there we find joy. And it's there that we can live our lives knowing that the God who knows all, who is everywhere, who created me and is who is the just God, will be with me and will guide me all the days of my life. There are two options. They're your two options. It's the two options we must make. Are we going to run from God? Or are we going to rest in Him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we consider all that You are, as we consider that You, Lord, are the God of the universe, the God who knows all, the God who sees all, the God who is ever-present, 
the God who is the creator, who created me, the God who is the just God. We pray, Lord, that this would affect us, that this would deeply affect us, Lord, knowing who you are. You're not the God who sits on the clouds that's absent. You're not the friend that has no power. You're the God of the universe who created everything and who is involved. We pray, Lord, that we would see this and that this, this would change us and transform us. And we pray that as we see who you are, that this would lead us to an ever-deepening trust in you, an ever-deepening trust in Jesus who overcame darkness and who showed us that there is light. We pray for help in this. Help us to trust you and rest in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.